Thank you for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Help us to reach more listeners in 2024 for our study of Titus, Ruth, James, and Habakkuk by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. You can make a secure online donation at thewordendoors.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to The Word Endures and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for your support at the end of the year. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. Before the crucified, every earthly notion of power turns tail and runs away. You want to see what power is? You want to glimpse almighty power? Then behold the man who in love chooses to bear the sin of the world in his own body on the tree. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Micah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. Wow, can you believe we have arrived at our final study of Micah? We considered the middle of chapter 7 last time. The prophet warned the enemies of God's people that they better put off their celebration of victory over Israel. Though Israel had fallen, she would rise again. Though the prophet sat in the darkness, he would discover in that darkness that the Lord is his light. So instead of griping about the rod of the Lord's discipline, the prophet and all the faithful with him learned to bear it with patience. They know that whatever God dishes out is far less than our sins have deserved, and we believe that in the end, He will vindicate us. He will bring His own out to the light. And then, the enemies who scorned their trust in Yahweh, asking, Where's the Lord your God? will all be put to shame. And yes, though Jerusalem's walls have been broken down by the enemy, it's because those walls will be too small to hold the population the Lord's preparing to gather from the nations to join Israel in saving faith. And so they come streaming in from the nations to join the faith of Abraham. But those who decline that gospel invitation remain in a desolate and parched land, for there is no joy or life apart from God, the living God. A reading from Micah, the seventh chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. 
Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah 7, verses 14 through 20. Let us pray. Grant, we beg you, Almighty God, to us and to your whole church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom that comes down from above, that your word may not be bound but have free course and be preached and taught to the joy and the edifying of Christ's holy people, that in steadfast faith we may serve you, and in the confession of your name, abide to our end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to dig into today's reading? Let's get to it. Verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. The earth, you recall, was just described as desolate, as empty and barren. But in the midst of that emptiness, God has replanted a promise of Eden, a garden land. And in that garden land, he stands as a great shepherd of his sheep. The picture here is quite similar to that of Isaiah 35. Do you remember how waters would break out in the wilderness and streams in the desert? How the burning sand became a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water? How a way would be there, a safe way, a joyful way on which God's people would come singing and dancing home to Zion, crowned with everlasting joy. This is the same reality described under another image. The Lord's garden, where his flock safely graze, as in the days of old. This is Christ's church, which is indeed Eden, replanted into the world. No wonder when Christ appeared to Mary on Easter morning, it was in a garden, and she supposed him to be a gardener. Verse 15. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. Again, like Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The marvelous things, then, refers to the miracles of Jesus, first by his own hand, as told in the Gospels, but then the miracles of Jesus through his apostles, as recounted in the book of Acts. These miracles would dwarf even the miracles that accompanied Israel in her exodus from Egypt. 
For these miracles all center in the resurrection of the dead and the way that grace itself will transfigure and heal creation. And a wondrous thing happens out in the desolate earth as this garden is planted and flourishes. Verse 16. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. The nations are ashamed of their might, of their power. They thought they had a decent handle on what power really is in this fallen world. It's about being able to make others buckle under to your will, to do your bidding, right? Uh, not right. Before the crucified, every earthly notion of power turns tail and runs away. You want to see what power is? You want to glimpse almighty power? Then behold the man who in love chooses to bear the sin of the world in his own body on the tree. Behold the man who could wipe us out with a single word from his mouth. No, no, no. With a thought in his mind, but who chooses instead to wipe out our sin to take our place under judgment in order to free us from it. Here's the true king, crowned with thorns and reigning from a cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the thief had prayed. And so, in place after place, quite literally kings were brought to bow down before the king of kings. From Constantine to Vladimir of Kiev, from Charlemagne, to Gustavus Adolphus, in kingdom after kingdom, place after place, kings have doffed their crowns and laid them down at the feet of him who reigns from a tree. Verse 17. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God and they shall be in fear of you. What's most curious here isn't that the nations are brought to a genuine fear of the Lord, trembling and in dread before him, with their faces bowed to the earth. No, what's curious is that last line, and they shall be in fear of you. How the early Christians experienced the fulfillment of that. Why did the Roman Empire use such force and might to try to exterminate the Christian faith? Because they feared this people. The very garden that the people of God inhabit by faith, members of a kingdom that has no end, make them a threat to the powers of this world. They still aim their big guns at the church, and experience the immense frustration of not being able to wipe us out. How many times have they tried? But we have the promise of him who is truth. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, verse 18. And so we're not afraid. No matter how dark and overwhelming the desolation of this world appears, we know how it all ends, and that makes all the difference. Old Luther captured exactly what makes us a threat to the world when he preached these joyful words in an Advent sermon. But with the man who belongs to an everlasting kingdom, all is well, and it is fitting that he should dance through life forevermore. It's that dancing through life, already living from the kingdom that is coming, which accounts for the great fear 
that the world has of the church. It's the alien smell of divine life on her. But what is the source of her secret and unquenchable joy? Micah just has to end on it. Verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. How did the psalmist put it? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you there is forgiveness. God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are not like our ways. He delights in forgiving sin, in wiping it out. It floats his boat to pass over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. Yes, we are sinners. And if the Lord counted our sin against us, we would never be able to stand in his presence. But he promises that he will not retain his anger Because of what his son would do on Calvary's cross, the Lord chooses the path of delighting in his steadfast love. It's an embassy of forgiveness that he will dispatch from Jerusalem and send out to the nations. And it is this that will win the hearts of the Gentiles and unite so many of them to the Lord's ancient people. Verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. His compassions fail not. They cannot be exhausted. And so he stomps on our sins upon his cross. And then he lifts them from us and hurls them into the depths of the sea where they are drowned. A picture of holy baptism. This is what St. Basil the Great wrote in the 4th century. Indeed, Sin shall not come near to one who received baptism for the remission of his transgressions through water and the Spirit. Something akin to this is found in the prophecy of Micah. Because he delights in mercy, he will turn again and have mercy on us. He will put away our iniquities and will cast them into the bottom of the sea. And this baptismal drowning of our sin, it results in great peace for us. Luther wrote, That is, He will put our sins far away from us so that they never again trouble our conscience. He will give us peace of conscience and a very free conscience. For indeed, peace follows the forgiveness of sins, a peace where the heart feels the sweetness of divine goodness now that its sin has been forgiven. Verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. That is, Micah delights in God as the great promise keeper. He swore to Jacob and Abraham that in their seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. And this is the blessing that he opens up to all nations in the fountain of holy baptism, a blessed flood of forgiveness, which God promises in the days of Messiah to unleash and set rolling over the whole wide earth. Micah knows it will be so, and so he eagerly awaits that day. And that's where we're going to need to call our break for today. Next up, we move to one of my all-time favorite epistles of St. Paul, the letter to the Colossians. You might remember when we studied Ephesians 
that Colossians is that letter's twin. They tie tightly together, but they have very different characters. Next time, I'll make the case that Colossians is to Ephesians as wake awake is to morning star and masculine is to feminine. If Paul in Ephesians was centered on the mystery of the bride of the church, in Colossians, the focus is squarely on the bridegroom, on the person of Christ himself. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can make a year-end tax-deductible donation by check. Make your check payable to The Word Endures and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR. Lutheran Public Radio.